I want to welcome everybody who's watching online. I don't know if you guys realize here in-house, but we actually have more people who watch online than attend the service in the actual physical building. And we, we love that because I think one of the things we've been trying to say here for a while is that church doesn't just happen here. It happens wherever we as Christians are, wherever we are participating, wherever we are learning, and especially wherever we are working. About 18 months ago, I started talking with a friend uh, about that and about what it really meant to be the church and how I think the, the church, at least the church that I grew up in and a lot of other churches teach that kind of all the best work, all the good work happens right here when actually I think the Bible and especially Jesus teaches that most of that work happens outside the walls of the temple. And so we started brainstorming that and he started sharing about the ministry that he had at his outside of regular vocational church work. And it was so impressive that we started building together this series. Now, what I don't think my friend Kavika knew is that when we built this series, I would ask him uh, with as much pressure as I could to actually share within one of those talks. Uh, that is something that I don't think he saw coming, but he was just really humble about receiving and feeling like, yeah, I think maybe God does have something for me to share. And so I'm really, really excited to present to you for the first time to this stage, my good friend, Kavika Geisen, would you please give him a hand? Forgot to turn this thing on. First time, right? Here we go. Uh, first of all, do you guys ever question your friendships and wonder if they really have your best interests at mind? <laughs> Uh, that was literally my response. I, uh, this, is not my, this is not my domain. This is not my work. And so therefore, I just want to say thank you to you guys for, for allowing me to take this space to share with you. Not that you really had much choice in the matter. Danny, Danny had already made up his mind. However, it is still both an honor and a privilege to be with you guys today. Um, Danny's introduction was very kind. Uh, but I'll be the first to tell you that I have no authority uh, in this topic of work within, within the workplace or within this series, other than to just share with you the ways in which I've experienced uh, this topic of integrating your faith into your work, and then also the ways in which I've experienced God show up. So uh, today's message is literally 20 years in the making, which we'll get to here in just a moment. I want to start off by telling you in 2003, I found myself unemployed. <laughs> um, I had been a certified personal trainer for about a year, and shortly, shortly kind of into it, I realized that the industry was a bit uglier than, than I had expected. And so I quit that job. However, what I learned during that time, especially in being a new follower of Jesus, was that I really wanted to help people. But I didn't know what my gifts were. I didn't know what my callings were. And if I'm honest, I had no idea what those two words meant as it related to my faith. It was uh, around the same time that I was a new husband uh, and my wife and I were expecting our first child. And so I did what any good, good husband and soon-to-be father would do, is I allowed my mother-in-law to drive me to the hospital to find a job. <laughs> True story. She's here in attendance, so give it up, give it up to Katie. She's amazing. <laughs> Went to the hospital and I got a job as a transporter, y'all. Like, look at this guy. That's me. 
That's actually not me. He's way cooler than I am and also had a much cooler job than I did. See, uh, the, the role of a transporter in the hospital is to literally take patients to and from their care areas into ancillary departments like the imaging department, which is where I worked, so that patients could have their diagnostic tests like CAT scans and x-rays and MRIs, ultrasounds. Where's my health care people at? Any healthcare people up in the room? Woo, yeah, all right. I love y'all. Anyway, uh, it didn't take long for me to fall in love with the work. Uh, see, what I had realized was that I was having a bit of an awakening, like a soul awakening. An awakening to the fact that I actually had a real opportunity to care for people. And not just care for people, but I had an opportunity as a follower of Jesus to simply be a light to them and to love them for who they are, where they were, and, and especially when they're in their like darkest moment, possibly the darkest moment in their life, whether it be through illness, through sickness, through trauma, or the like. And so as a new follower of Jesus, uh, I was trying to grasp onto anything that I could from the Bible. And as I read, I was flipping through the Bible, just, you know, trying to find something. And I stumbled across Matthew 5, verses 14 through 16 which says, you are a light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. Let me say that again, so that they may see your good works and give glory to the Father who is in heaven. This verse became my bend. This verse became my center at work. And through it, I believe that God was helping me to begin to understand what my gifts were. Now, I share these with you with much humility and a whole lot more vulnerability, but I felt like some of the gifts he revealed to me were empathy, a tendency to put others' needs before my own, which, by the way, like, this has, this has like, resurrected some therapy for me recently in some, like, relational domains where that might be unhealthy. But nonetheless, uh, he showed me that I had patience, and then he also showed me that I had an aptitude to want to look at broken processes to think creatively on how I might make them better, and then subsequently a gift of perseverance to see those things through. Now... Eight years, three kids with one on the way later. Seriously, guys, we had no idea where these kids were coming from. <laughs> uh, I was hired as an imaging manager with no formal education and just a strong will to work hard and to simply be a light. Now, on paper, on paper, it looked really good. Uh, there were so many blessings and, and promotions and praises and raises, right? Like, not only was I uh, the youngest manager at Legacy Health at the time, but I was doing just this really cool work where I felt like I was be being able to love on people really well. I had a family that I had always wanted. I had a supportive, loving, talented, and hot wife. And <laughs> I had a fellow, fellow community of followers of Jesus who were just supporting me and encouraging me in the work that I was doing. And then subsequently, I had this really cool opportunity of being the primary leader of a youth ministry at one of the campuses of our old church, right? Paper, I look great. Inside, though, I was a hot mess. <laughs> uh, see, it was 11 months into my ma managerial role that I started having a, another awakening. By the summer of 2012, I was working 55 to 60-plus hours a week. I had very little margin for that family that I had, had so desperately wanted. 
I had very little margin in my life for all of the responsibilities outside of my job. And I started to question if whether or not simply being a light was enough. Furthermore, I was questioning if whether my work in the marketplace, and when I say marketplace, I mean anything outside of the walls of the church. Uh, I was beginning to question if whether or not that was the work that I was supposed to do because everything around me was saying the good work happened inside the walls of the church. Have any of you guys felt like that at some point in your walk with Jesus? Oh, maybe it's just me. Cool. All right. <laughs> but at that, time, uh, at that time, there were two pivotal conversations that happened in which I fully believe that God had inserted uh, into my life and onto my lap. And the first conversation that I had was with our old senior pastor. See, he had been engaging me in conversations to take over the youth pastor role at our church. And so he had been, uh, we had had several conversations leading up to one Sunday evening when he asked me to go for a walk around the church so that he could essentially sell me, sell me to become a, a youth pastor, right? So he was telling me all the practicalities of what it meant to be in ministry. Uh, he was telling me what my role would look like as a high school pastor or as a youth pastor at that time. And then subsequently, he also shared with me how much I would get paid to which I wanted to stop the conversation altogether at that point. Because I'm like, bro, you can't afford me. You just can't afford me. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, he kept going on. And at some point, at some point I, start, I started feeling frustrated inside. And sensing my angst, and I can talk about my frustration later, but sensing my angst, he said something to me that I'll never forget. And he said, Kavika, I know your heart for wanting to bring Jesus into your workplace. And, and I know how much... You love your coworkers and you love taking care of patients who are, in, who are in desperate need. And if I haven't told you this before, I need you to know that, and some of y'all need to hear this tonight, is that the, the work that you do in the marketplace is just as, if not more important, of a ministry than the ministry that happens here at the church. Now, I don't remember a thing that that guy said after that fact. Because he planted a seed, and in that seed, I just kept thinking, wait, the work that I do in the marketplace is a ministry. And so somehow that conversation wrapped up. I don't remember, but I do remember saying, hey, I'll let you know in a couple of days what my decision is. Now, it just so happened the following morning, I was having my annual review as a leader at work. Uh, <laughs> I remember walking in uh, to my director's office and sitting down and without exchanging any pleasantries, she goes, Kavika, do you want to do this job anymore? And internally, I'm like, I guess I'm going to be a youth pastor tomorrow. <laughs> and so I shared, with her, uh, I shared with her, as I am now with you, I go, you know, I really love the people that I, that I get to lead and that I get to manage. I love partnering with other managers because uh, we were, uh, you know, it's a big hospital. We had six hospitals at the time. And, and I really feel like I'm, I'm doing something in terms of uh, moving some of the culture, uh, some culture in the workplace. And I went on and, and told her, you know what, I just feel like there's so many barriers that are preventing us from producing the way that you need us to. And so I'll, I'll work longer hours, like I had any to, to give. I'll try harder, which we all know how that works out. And before I could finish my sentence, she stopped me and she goes, Kavika, I know you to be the hardest working, the most loyal employee that I've ever had the opportunity of managing. But right now, I need to know if you want to do this anymore. And uh, I was scared, y'all. 
I'd never been fired from a job before, and, and I just remember, like, I, I need to take a silent moment, and I need to talk to God. And it sounded like this. God, what do you want me to do? <laughs> and it wasn't an audible response, but I felt like what he was saying was just be honest. And so with the manliest tone I could muster up in that moment, I was like, no. <laughs> And two weeks later, I found myself in the basement of the system office at Legacy with a new title of systems analyst, a job, mind you, that I had wanted for years, but I, I thought it was always impossible because I didn't have the formal education of a bachelor's degree, which you all know I didn't have. And I also didn't have four years of experiences in information technology, which was also a requirement, which I also did not have. And so all along, what I started to realize is that God's pretty funny. <laughs> I had told my pastor later, or later in the afternoon when I, was, when I was transitioned over there, and he was like annoyingly way more excited than I was. Because he's like, Kavika, you have an opportunity to continue this, this ministry that you have within healthcare. See, what my, what my spiritual director at that time and my actual director at that time, what they apparently knew were my gifts too. And they knew, what I, knew that what I needed and subsequently what the team, the team that I was managing needed was someone who could empathize with the struggles of the people doing the work to be able to analyze their broken processes and to subsequently make them better. And I'm like, here we go. Like, those are my gifts. Now, on the months leading up to that transition, my prayer was, God, what is the work that I'm meant to do? And he showed up rather uncomfortably, and revealed to me one simple truth planted by a pastor and watered by someone who to this day, I don't know if she follows Jesus or not, which is this truth. The good work is not reserved only for the inner workings of the church building. In Genesis 1, we, we read the creation story unfold. And I'm going to paraphrase a bunch here. But in day one, God created day and night, and God saw that it was... Good job, guys. On day three, a little more, like a little more emphasis this time. God created vegetation, plants prime with life, trees that bore fruit, and God saw that it was good. Yeah. You guys get the point. Days four through six, after all was said and done, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Mm-hmm. See, the mess or the tension that I felt in the nine years of my of my career in healthcare, and at the peak and the pinnacle of it was God revealing the good calling to me. And it didn't have to involve the church building. See, when I look at the creation story in Genesis 1, God's emphasis on the, on the, on the very good wasn't just for his creation of mankind, but all of creation. And he wasn't just a pastor, right? As John Mark Comer describes in his book, Garden City, which I highly recommend picking, up, picking it up if you haven't read it. I get no royalties, although I wish I did, because uh, I've recommended it a lot. But he goes on to say this about God. He says he was an artist, a designer, a creative, an engineer, a builder, an ecologist, a zoologist, an expert in horticulture, a musician, a poet, a king, a shepherd. But above all, he's a worker and a vigorous one at that. For me, the, the crazier part of Genesis 1 happens in verse 26, where it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, 
and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock, over all the earth and every creepy thing that creeps on the earth. Now, first of all, I just want to make one point of clarification, but the word image in Hebrew is translated to salem. And the imagery that it gives off is that of an idol or of, a, or, or of as a statue. And so the salem of God, as Comer writes, the salem is the visible representation of an invisible being. So if the first part of Genesis is true, and that all of God's titles and his relationships to creation, plus if you and I are made in the image of God, then we are more than just an office of ministry. We're more than just an office of church ministry. See, we are a living living representation of the living God who in his love and his grace and design has given us unique gifts and callings to partner with him to rule and, as our working definition says, to rearrange the raw materials of his creation in such a way that it helps the world in general and people in particular to thrive and to flourish. See, what my awakenings had taught me and the argument that I'm making with you guys today is this. With the right posture, we or anyone who considers themselves a follower of Jesus are in full-time vocational ministry. We're just not on the payroll, (laughs) nor should we be. I mean, I had a picture uh, on Thursday when I was sharing this of like of what Tom would actually look like if we were all on the church's payroll for the work that we did outside of the church, right? Like, like that long flowing hair that he has probably wouldn't, I mean, he'd probably look like me. You, you don't want to see that. It's, 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 it looks like the transporter, y'all. Anyway, but that was the realization. Like in my workplace, I'm in full-time vocational ministry and I'm not on the church's payroll. Now, the first time that I heard the late Tim Keller's quote was back in 2015 um, while I was on on my commute into work. Um, By that time, I was was, uh, promoted to a senior system analyst, and uh, my wife and I had just welcomed our fifth child into the world. Don't worry, y'all. We figured out where they came from. But uh, that quote, man, that, that quote wrecked me. And I don't, I don't know where you're sitting with it or how you're resonating, resonating with it today, but what I realized is that God was stirring something deeper into my soul. And it was this stirring and a reality that, like, I literally had resources and materials that were at my disposal to make something better of the community that I was in. And that, that you know, those resources were my time. Those resources were my hands. Those resources were the the countless conversations and the learning about how hospitals operate and how they function. But more importantly, it was a realization that I had that, yes, even in information technology, right, where I'm behind a computer all all day, the work that I'm doing still has kingdom advancing, life flourishing implications. Would you agree? Yeah. That conviction led me into some pretty real experiences of anointing where both my gifts and my callings were used in tandem with with nothing else that I could describe other than God's heart for my workplace, for my community, and for my family. Uh, With that anointing, (laughs) that's fun. God makes you uncomfortable a lot of times. Um, He and I started uh, just kind of plotting out like some conversations to have with our leadership team so that not only could we look at the the, our employees and the, 
and the production that they had, but also to take a look at them and to care for the individual beyond their work in this crazy thing that we call life. That partnership with God also afforded me to look at ways that we could uh, maybe start beginning to look at our own broken processes and to start to eliminate waste so that we could build more margin in our capacity at work while also building margin for our our work-life balance. And then subsequently, one of my favorite things about that was it just gave me the opportunity to start seeing people as the eternal beings that they are, looking at them not as an annoyance or not looking at them as, as maybe, I don't know, <laughs> I'm just, this is just me, uh, as someone who gets in my way, but someone who God is partnering with me to make sure that they're loved, that they're cared well for, and that they, ex- they get to experience the hands and feet of Jesus, even if they never step foot inside of a building into a church building, mind you. And the one last thing that was really cool about that season of life was that I feel like God started to, to download some things about what it meant to partner with, with other followers of Jesus. And so uh, it wasn't long before uh, we were starting to identify other followers of Jesus that, that shared a similar bend or a similar, uh, what would I call it? Desire, we'll call it desire, to just see God's kingdom advance inside of the walls of legacy health. And so there were some cool things, but ultimately we called ourselves like kingdom secret agents, right? We're doing the, the work beyond the work, right, of like sharing struggles in a similar line of work, but also that we were able to encourage one another from the word or through prayer, and then subsequently partner to do with what God, what we felt like God wanted, which was an invasion of his kingdom and a science-minded or a science-based landscape in the heart of Portland and in, a, in an organization that, that wanted kingdom principles right but didn't nece- necessarily know who the king was. And what did we get? Well, we got a whole lot more than we anticipated. Uh, I have story after story to share with you guys, but some of the cool things on, on a broad level is we we got to partner with God to see recovery and freedom from secret addictions that had never been shared outside of, outside of uh, a few individuals' lives or with their family members. Uh, we got to see things like, things like, <laughs> so weird, but like humility and honesty being substituted in places where it was just, was manipulation and a whole lot of pride. But more importantly, we got to have a whole lot of conversations about faith and especially about with Jesus to people, again, who would never step foot into a place like we're sitting here today. Now, uh, all of that came with both a personal cost and a blessing to me, uh, because partnering with God is really comfortable, right, y'all? In 2018, I was asked to join the leadership at Legacy in a role as a lead analyst for the imaging systems team. Now, keep in mind, I've been bucking leadership this whole time, like just bucking it. Like I drank the Kool-Aid of middle management and it was lacking sugar, y'all. And um, <laughs> the, the hard part about that is that there had always been what I would say a call in my life for leadership, whether that be in my community of faith or my community uh, at the workplace. But the language was undoubtedly different. See, at church, like, people would come up to me and they're like, Kavika, I see a mantle of leadership upon you. And I'm like, what does that mean? 
And then, <laughs> and then in the workplace, people would just come up to me and like, hey, Kavika, you'd make a really great leader one day. And I'm like, cool, thanks. <gasps> but I don't want the responsibility. Right? Have you all been there? Like, you're afforded with more responsibility, and you're like, I don't want that. And for me, if I'm honest, the reason that I didn't want it was because I was afraid. I was afraid of more responsibility. I was afraid of, truthfully, I was just afraid that God was going to wreck this, this comfort that I had built, even within my calling at that moment. But at the end of it, I knew that he wanted more. And so upon being asked to take on the position, I went on a walk uh, it's, it's just what I do when I'm presented with a problem that's too big for me to fix in that moment. My wife knows that better than anybody else, y'all. But um, uh, the system office at Legacy is, is located in the Northwest Portland area or district. And I had a, like a half hour walking route that I would go on that brought me by the hospital. And so for 20 minutes, I just walked and I prayed. It sounded like this. God, what do you want me to do? <laughs> And for 20 minutes, all I heard were the sounds of my own footsteps and this little voice inside of me that's like, Kavika, imagine what this is going to do to your family. Kavika, imagine like all these, you know, all these other areas that you like to serve in or these different ways that you like to help people. Imagine how that's going to impact your time. And then the, the most, the loudest one, which is, don't you remember how big of a mess you were six years ago when you were managing people? And so by this time, after throwing an internal tantrum, I was just outside of the parking lot at, yeah, like, that's exactly how it was like. <laughs> I sat down on a park bench just outside of the parking lot next to the hospital, my head, in my, my head in my hands, and just pleading with God, God, give me some direction, please. And it was in that moment I just felt like he was saying, look up. And I'm like, you want me to have a better attitude or you actually want me to look up? And, I, and I, he's like, look up. And I'm like, okay, I, I guess that won't hurt anything. So I looked up and the first thing that caught my eye was, was this sign. It was the sign of the hospital twice <laughs> that said Legacy Good Samaritan. And it was in that moment that I knew exactly what I had to do. And it was in that moment that I knew exactly what God wanted to do with me. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with the parable of the Good Samaritan, but for your reference, write it down if you want to look it up later. It can be found in Luke chapter 10, verses 27 through 37. In the interest of time, I can't go through the whole thing, but essentially Jesus told a parable about three different heart postures in responding to need on this thing called a path or on a road. And for me, God was highlighting in that moment and what the parable was reminding me was the fact that the way of Jesus the narrow path of Jesus inherently exposes us to needs needing to be addressed. Let me say that one more time. The narrow path of Jesus inherently exposes us to needs needing to be addressed. Now, if you missed Danny's message last week, I highly encourage you to go back and listen. But for me, my resistance to the calling of organizational leadership responsibilities and the subsequent fear of the failure was trying to knock me off of my narrow path. But God, being the good God he is, reminded me of the anointing, my ever-evolving call to be a light in dark places and to simply see a need and meet a need. So I took the job. <laughs> and to no surprise, God then afforded me with the authority to do more good work. Now, I have plenty of stories, but 
ultimately, my favorite thing about that season of leadership was that it was for the first time that I had the ability, I'm no longer an individual contributor, but I have the ability to look at and to care well for the people that I led. Furthermore, it gave me the opportunity to holistically look at the person and their needs and not just their byproduct. So where am I at, where am I at today? <laughs> well, if my job changes weren't enough to keep track of, because there's been a few. In 2021, I was pursued to fill the role of the technology manager at Legacy. Now, to give you a little more context, because none of you look that impressed, <laughs> and please don't be impressed with me, but just God's anointing through this story. Uh, this role res was responsible for the entire infrastructure of our EMR, which is a, an electronic medical record. Uh, some of you might have heard of the word EPIC or the name of EPIC. This is what my team that I was now managing was in charge of. To give you a little more context, uh, this application in information technology is considered a tier zero application meaning the lower the number, the more mission critical it is for an organization. And this was at the very, it's like ground level, ground zero. And if this thing goes down, the senior vice president is calling me directly on my cell phone going, get your stuff together. And here's Kiki. Sorry, that's what my friends call me. <laughs> here's Kiki, once transporter, now holding the keys to the kingdom for legacy health. Not because I'm educated or really good at what I do, but because of God's gifting and his calling and subsequently the, the anointing that I had in my life at that season of time. As many of you remember, uh, 2021 was also in the middle of this thing called a worldwide pandemic. It was also when our country was experiencing a whole lot of social unrest. And then it was also that same time, two months, gosh, the timing was horrible, but I got hired two months later, all healthcare workers were required to get a vaccination, including healthcare IT workers who were never in direct patient care. And I can tell you that that was probably the hardest season of my, of my career at that time. And all I could do, all I could do was lead the way that God had shown me to lead, which is to love and to care for the people that I'm, I'm responsible for. Never before had I prayed more for people consoled them, shared hard truths with them, shared Jesus with them, helped them process their career and life-changing decisions, nor made harder decisions for my own life. And it was in that season of life that my wife, in all of her wisdom, continued to remind me of the peace of God through this remarkably hard season, as I'm sure it was for many of you. Now, as the dust began to settle, and as I'm still trying to lead my my, my team, who all were intact uh, through love and patience and kindness and a whole lot of transparency, a different, a different calling began to happen. It was at that time that my wife began to feel a revived calling in her own life. And God's timing is hysterical, y'all. Like, uh, <laughs> like, the day that she decided to close a chapter on her former role in vocational ministry was literally the day later in the afternoon that I got the call about, hey, will you take this job as a technology manager? And then subsequently, in her obedience to her calling back into ministry and a whole lot of shared prayers, it was the same day that she said yes to Kessid was the same day that I found out my old job as senior system analyst had yet to be filled and would be welcomed back with open arms. Now, if you didn't put two and two together already, Chandra, 
your worship pastor, is my wife. Woo! She's hot. See, I wasn't lying earlier, you guys. Hot, talented wife right there. And uh, I guess that makes me a pastor's husband, right? Yeah. Guys, I, either way, I sleep with a pastor. That, that one. That one. Sorry, that one to be specific in case you need a clarification. <laughs> Ooh, okay. The decision, though, to step out of management like normal wasn't an easy one. Uh, but, certainly, but certainly it was ultimately an easy decision. See, the way that my wife... The way, the love that my wife has for my calling and subsequently the love that I have for hers, along with God's timing, made it abundantly clear to us. We realized that our, what our family needed, what our marriage needed, and what we both individually needed was for me to close a chapter on my leader title for many reasons, but a very central one of those being the clear anointing that my wife has and is living out here at Kessid in pastoral care for all of us. And she's doing a great job at it, right? Yeah. yeah. Yes, she is. Yeah, you are, babe. My hot babe. Uh, But as for my own identity and calling, well, it's still the same. I'm still a living representation of the living God. I am like the good shepherd on the narrow path, and I I am the ambassador for Christ. What's the point, Kavika? Well, my point is this. Your titles may change in vocation. Your roles may change in relationships. My daughter just recently got married, by the way, so now I have a son that I wasn't expecting, but that's a topic for another time. But your broad creation-facing identity in Christ does not and should not change. A quote that I found recently best summarizes this. It says, God has given the anointing of the Holy Spirit to each believer to be taught, led, and empowered for his work. You may be a teacher, a pastor, an evangelist, a prophet, an apostle, or a saint. You may be a mother, a student, a truck driver, engineer, doctor, or nurse, or a construction worker. You may be a musician, a songwriter, or an artist. It makes no difference. God's plan for his people does not change because of the methods or vessels. His desire is to use every gift, every calling, and every available tool for one purpose and one end to minister his love and power to lost and dying humanity. Brothers and sisters at Kessid, you and I are the vessel. Our works are the methods. And our giftings and our callings are the tools. And you and I are invited into God's, God's, God's? God's kingdom building agency. And as Pastor Chris reminded me earlier this week, he's always hiring. So how do we live this out? Well, here are Kiki's three encouragements from my own experience, both through understanding scripture and then subsequently through my work experience. Uh, The first is partner with God in all your domains, especially in your place of work. You guys know the statistics. A third of your life is spent working if you've got a full-time job. If you're a parent, more than that. (laughs) <laughs> I know that. I have five kids, y'all. I'm an expert in that. Anyway, uh, to quote Sky Jathani in his book called With, another book that I would recommend, he says, it is not our circumstances or behaviors or radical decisions that give our lives meaning and hope, but our unity with God himself. And if you were here last week, Danny alluded to this when he said, basically, 
Unity with God is the means and the way in which we stay on the narrow path and is how our unique giftings and our callings are revealed to us. Guys, without God, without engaging God in my own story, I, wouldn't have, I probably wouldn't have fully understood my giftings or my callings or really experienced what that anointing felt like. My simple way of doing this is just talk with them. Weird, right? I don't know if you picked this up, but moments of like, God, what do you want me to do? <laughs> and he showed up. Sometimes he was silent, but ultimately each day what I try to do is I just try to engage God. God, what do you want me to know today? And what are we going to do? And sometimes as, as easy as, God, what do you want me to know? Well, Kavika, I want you to know that you're loved. Why are you telling me that? Well, because you're, you're walking around acting like you're not loved. And I'm like, okay, well, then what are we doing today? He's like, you're going to walk around and show people the love that you received from me, uh, the love that you received from me as a way of just giving what you have to someone else. Some of it's a bit harder when it's like, God, what do you want me to know? And he's like, you know that guy that really annoys you when he's eating nachos and he makes that annoying like sound with his mouth? I want you to know that he is a sacred and eternal being and I want you to reach out to him and I want you to love on him very well so that he knows my heart for him. Sometimes it's, hey, quit this job. Hey, sometimes it's take this job. But ultimately, if we're not engaging the one who created all things, if we're not engaging him primarily in our work, then how are we going to begin to understand the work that he wants to do through us? Amen? Amen. The second one is my favorite because I got it from both scripture and from therapy. <laughs> Yay! I love therapy. Um, the second one is this. You have to accept that trials will come. On this side of heaven, good work is synonymous with hard work. And the sooner that you realize that, the sooner that you can continue partnering with the God who says in Matthew verses, or chapter 11, verses 28 through 29, says, come to me all who labor or work and are heavy laden or burned out, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Do any of you see the connection here that Jesus is making? Jesus is using the imagery of work to provoke more intimacy with him. Like, I, it, it's wild to me. Like, some of you need to hear this, but some of you are like stressed out or burned out or maybe just even disinterested in the work that you're doing. And you're asking God, why? And yet we know... We know the God who made the work and we know that he knows that it's going to be hard. And simply he's just telling us, listen, bro, catch a breath. Take a breather with me while we till this ground and I will make your burden light. It doesn't mean that the work won't be hard, but I'll make it lighter for you because we're partnering together to make this world a better place. It leads me to my last encouragement. Uh, a quote that I've held on to it for a long time. Well, first of all, I'll give you the bullet point. It says, love greatly. But a bullet or a quote that I heard for a long time, and it's helped me through many seasons, goes a little bit like this. It says, man cannot do great things, only do small things in great love. Great love is a pre prerequisite for the good work. Not great doing. <laughs> Not great achievement, and certainly not great sacrifice. Thank you, Uncle Ben. Anybody catch the Spider-Man reference? No? Okay, it's fine. 
The, <laughs> now you got it. The good work, the good work, the prerequisite for good work is great love. And the kingdom of God is bound together by great love. For God so loved the world, right? And the mission of a kingdom agent is bound with a call to love one another just as Christ has loved us. So hear me on this. Please do not pursue greatness for greatness's sake. Pursue the great God who in his great love wants to partner with you to do the good work. And I want you to imagine for a moment, I want you to imagine your workplace and what it would look like with an invasion of God's love. I want you to envision your homes. I want you to envision your schools. I want you to envision, gosh, even your families and Vancouver as a larger, wherever it is that you live with an invasion of God's love and how that might change things for his kingdom. I want to close us with this. Um, we've been talking about work now for, for a few weeks. <laughs> Feels like I've been talking about it forever up here. But um, if you have felt a stirring at any point in the last three weeks or even before that, just like a stirring that like, God, I know there's something more for the, for the way in which I engage with work. As an act of obedience and as, a, as an act of staying on the narrow path, I just want to encourage you guys to take a moment to stand with me right now uh, because I want to pray a covering over you as my now fellow partners in the secret kingdom agency of building up his kingdom. <laughs> oh, man. I wish you guys could see your faces right now. You look great, first of all, but I'm really jacked because I... I love the crazy and unique ways in which God shows up to show his love. And now we get to partner that and encourage one another. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you, first of all, for every, every butt out of chair today. And maybe even a few butts in chairs because they can't stand or because they're just not sure yet of how good or great you are. But Father, I know through my own experience, through the crazy ways in which you've shown up, that your heart, that your heart is to partner with us to do what we can only describe as amazing things provided from a great God who loves us so deeply and so passionately. Holy Spirit, I ask for, uh, for an increase of your presence in each and every single person today who's here out of an act of obedience that you would show them maybe even visions of the work that they do and what you want to do to partner with them, or subsequently that you would just provide them with clarity and wisdom and discernment of your voice, of the one who calls us to greater and deeper things, which is to simply love one another. Jesus, I thank you for what you've done on the cross. I thank you for modeling what, what a life on this side of heaven looks like and the ways in which we can bring your shalom, that we can bring your peace and your love into our neighbor's lives, our neighbors being anyone we have proximity to. And Jesus, I thank you. I thank you. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, thanks, everybody. We're excited to see you next week. Ah, hold it or give it to God. But Go Seahawks, and we will see you next week. Thank you very much.